0: To another episode of Kaiju Transmissions, the podcast about all things giant monsters, Godzilla, Gamera, and more. Uh, today's a special episode. Uh, I am Tom. You will only hear my voice on this one. Well, in in terms of the uh, the hosts of the show, but uh, I have a very special guest with us today. For those of you who attended G Fest, this pet- oh well this. This, G- this, we'll call it this July. I don't know when this episode's going to air. The uh, G-Fest G- has a film festival every year. They show shorts, full-length feature movies from, you know, independent filmmakers, and one of the movies they showed was a movie called Lake Michigan Monster. Uh, and I have the director of Lake Michigan Monster today, Ryland Brickson-Cole Twos. Uh, say hello to the people out there. Hello, people out there! Let's see. We're here to talk about Lake Michigan Monster. Now, we're also going to talk a little bit just about where he came from, and let me see if I can do a a brief summary of uh, Lake Michigan Monster, and maybe I'll get Ryland's stamp of approval on it, for those of you who didn't get a chance to see it this weekend. So, Lake Michigan Monster centers around Captain Seafield, a sea captain whose father is taken below the depths by a sea creature during a fishing trip nearly nearly a fathom off the shores of Lake Michigan. Uh, for those not well-versed in antiquated measurements, a fathom is about six feet. Seafield, hell on revenge, gathers together a crew of mercenaries and briefs them on the situation at his well-appointed home. Everyone is skeptical, but when they get a look at the dollar signs, Seafield is paying them for their time and effort, and they stick around. As the movie unfolds, we take a journey into discovery about Seafield's true identity, his family fortune, his father's fate, revenge, and the existence of the sea creature. And all spooky ghost armies, and also animation, and also alcohol. Yes. Is that yeah. About right. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it, alcohol is necessary to make this movie to begin with. So yes, uh, the, the alcohol is always flowing, either behind the scenes or right there on set. So, uh, but yeah, you pretty much yeah yeah that's that's pretty much it. I think you nailed it. Awesome.
0: Can you just tell us tell us a little bit more about about yourself, um, you know kind of where you came from and and what got you into filmmaking?
1: Ah uh, yes, well, I hailed from uh, the Brew City itself, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, and there I went uh, to high school as most people do. and uh, I met up with uh, my frequent uh, collaborator, Mike Cheslick, who is actually a producer, visual effects, and editor on. Lake Michigan monster. Um, and from there we started doing projects and stuff, uh, in high school. We continued that into, uh, college and now beyond. And, uh, we always kind of had the same sensibilities and, you know, uh, we always seemed to laugh at the same jokes. So we stuck together and, uh, and we attempted our first feature film with Lake Michigan monster. Uh, I, I moved out to LA, uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, but before I left, I was, I said, you know what? I'm just going to attempt to make a damn movie, not a short, but a feature length monster movie. Cause I thought that wasn't actually, that was an attainable thing I could do. And so, um, we started rolling on it and I cashed in all my favors with my friends and family. And the next thing, you know, um, we kind of, we kind of thought we had something here and, um, you know, uh, basically by the end of the movie, the thing had turned out better than I would ever even imagined. So not that it's a work of art or anything, but, um, you know, we're, we're pretty proud of the movie. So, uh, yeah, it just took a lot of selflessness on the parts of my friends and family to come together and help me do this thing. And, um, now we're just getting into film festivals all over the country. Um, we're going to be at uh, Fantasia film festival, uh, next week. Um, so it's, uh, it's really kind of, uh, uh, kind of ballooned bigger than I had even, uh, expected it to. So it's, we're very, we're very happy with the results.
0: I've, uh, I've seen it's it's gotten into quite a few festivals. That's pretty awesome. Um, going back just a second, um, you mentioned your short that, that you did or your work that you did with, uh, with, with Mike Cheslick. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually saw the one that you guys did in high school. Could you, could you just plug the name of that real quick? Because I, I think viewers who are interested in Lake Michigan Monster and you know maybe can't see it right now could get yeah. a good sense of your sensibilities from that. I thought it was hilarious. What was, what was the name of it again?
1: Are you referring to the uh, Whitefish Bay High School promo video? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you just type in Whitefish Bay High School promo, uh, that'll come up on YouTube. So... So you could either do that and get a, a sense of our sensibilities. Um, I mean, that's from you know ten years, eleven years ago. Um, or <laughs> yeah, I mean, they still show it to this day. It's uh, it's it's kind of a relic in Whitefish Bay. But um, then, uh, but yeah, the the uh, trailer for the movie is also uh, on YouTube. It's just Lake Michigan Monster trailer. It's the first thing that pops up. So either way. Uh, yeah, you know, the trailer is really great, too. It's got a lot of uh, great quotes on there from, from people, a lot of good reviews. So, yeah. yeah, we make some goofy, goofy stuff. No, no, no deeper meaning uh, stuff for us. It's all face value. It's all uh, <laughs> there's there's really a literal monster in this movie.
0: So, <laughs> yeah. um, We'll talk about the monster in a, in a minute. I just want to ask in a broader sense, who are, who are some of your influences when it when it comes to filmmaking?
1: Um, well, I'd say, um, I don't know if there's particular influences, uh, at a, uh, at a macro level, but for this particular movie, um, you know, Guy Madden was a big influence. Uh, he's a Canadian filmmaker, um, who does a lot of kind of comedic melodramas. Uh, in particular, his movie "Brand Upon the Brain" was kind of a uh, framework for this movie, just in terms of its uh, his its look. It's black and white, grainy, scratchy, uh, 16 millimeter uh, look, where all the whites are kind of blown out and stuff. Um, so that was a big influence for Lake Michigan Monster. And then you know, we you, I take that and I just couple it with uh, you know, kind of Monty Python. And, humor and uh sort of the sort of a life aquatic with steve zisu uh vibe as well so i think if you mix all three of those elements together uh out comes lake michigan monster
0: yeah that, that all makes sense uh i personally and i don't know if anyone else has told you this i pick up on a little bit of steve hillebrand from your stuff
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we got, uh, I think, I mean, it it might just be coincidence. Um, You know, just, just, I mean, you know, you you can pick up on a a lot of different influences that you don't even know you're picking up on just through watching movies and throughout pop culture. I mean, I guess I could also just say, like, oh, well, Sam Raimi, you know, is a big uh, influence, you know, just the Evil Dead movies. Um, Again, like, does, you know, I wasn't, like, thinking while I was making Lake Michigan Monster, oh, well, you know, uh, evil dead did this. We should do something similar, but you know, just through, uh, whatever that term is, uh, you know, through just watching something, you, it just sticks in your mind and you kind of find yourself, uh, you know, doing the same, you you kind of have the same sensibilities as some people without actually even knowing it. So I guess if I look back, I could kind of point to, Oh, that's right. Okay. Maybe I borrowed this from here. Maybe I got this from here, but you know, um, but at the same time I think it's still original enough of a movie where it kinda of stands up by itself where it's not uh people aren't pointing at Lake Michigan Monster and saying, Oh, it's like you know, like, oh, he did this, like so and so. Hopefully people can look at Lake Michigan Monster and people can say, Oh, Lake Michigan Monster influenced this thing or that thing. So
0: but uh, you know, we'll see. Oh no, I, I was just I was just curious if, if Oh yeah. If, I mean uh, cause I I kind of summarized um in a in a review I did on on Letterboxd as uh Sam Raimi camera work still Steve Hillebrand's style meets Lovecrafty story meets absurd mm-hmm. humor meets 1950 sci-fi. So. Yeah,
1: well that's another one. I mean I I love love I love Lovecraft um and so that was another thing that I guess uh I was a little bit more aware of like ah we should get some kind of Lovecrafty and imagery and stuff in here because that's that stuff is so mysterious and spooky unto itself, and and obviously the Sam Raimi kind of crazy, you know, camera work uh, was definitely a big influence.
0: So, where did the idea come from? I'm not super familiar with it. Isn't there like a, a cryptozoology thing about a Lake Michigan monster?
1: You know, I don't know that there is. Uh, I'm sure, um, you know, I'm not as well-versed on monsters as uh, i I've probably come off as, um, but I I do know one thing is that they recently spotted that, uh, that mysterious, uh, something or other in Lake Michigan, which I think they're actually kind of calling a Lake Michigan monster. Uh, it probably has nothing to do with what you're referring to. This is like a recent development. I saw some video and you can check this out. Um, they found they, they saw something on a camera which appears to be just a really big blob of, of something that looks to be actually not being moved by the waves itself but is looking like it's a it's an actual huge fish or a creature or something that's kind of dark and it's moving um it's moving on the top of the water. So that was uh <laughs> that that was kinda interesting. But uh, a
0: bit of viral marketing then. <laughs> no
1: no no uh that not at all, but uh it can't it can't hurt it actually was pretty good timing for us um but yeah, in terms of uh crypt, the actual cryptids that people believe of uh under lake michigan i'm not i'm not very well i very well versed in that i'm not sure
0: this this idea i mean why you know you just said you're not super into monsters and things, so then why a monster movie
1: well, a monster movie because it seemed like an attainable thing to do with, uh, no budget. Um, I always get a sense of, uh, glorious wonder and mystery when I gaze out at Lake Michigan and the fact that I, you know, was living in Milwaukee and from Milwaukee, you know, the the Lake Michigan monster or like Lake Michigan is, uh, you know, it's right there and it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's like a set piece onto itself. And, you know, you can just go down to the beach and start shooting something if you want. No one's going to stop you. You don't need permits. You don't really need that many permits anyways to begin with in Milwaukee, so let alone the lake. So I thought, oh, well, we should just set most of the, uh, the movie down by the lake. And then I got to thinking, okay, well, we can't just set a movie. Well, what are we going to do on the lake? And then I thought, okay, well, if this is going to be uh, any sort of entertainment value in this thing, we got to have like a monster in it. So I thought, oh, we'll just put a monster in a lake, and this group, this crew of uh, people, go down there and you know try to hunt this this monster in a lake. And I thought all these things were attainable because I could just get my friends together. We go down to the beach, we dress up in silly costumes, um, we shoot on uh, my girlfriend's dusty old DSLR camera, and we put it in black and white, and we make it you know grainy and. Um, you know, scratchy and stuff to, to give it its own kind of spooky style. And uh, because of all these elements, it, it 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 didn't allow for a big old budget. And, uh, you know, Mike Cheslick, again, the editor and visual effects guy, um, you know, he was able to complete over 300 effect shots for this movie because we were shooting it in a lo-fi style. You know, if he had done all these effect shots, you know, if we were shooting on like a red camera, you know, or some really nice, you know, even if, even if we were shooting on a damn iPhone, you know, like in color, you know, I, he couldn't have been able to replicate uh, the quality of these uh, effect shots because the the camera would, wouldn't allow for it. The effects would have had to be way better a, a effect that would usually take about an hour would have taken him a day. And so because we were in this grainy black and white style, he was able to, uh, I mean, obviously it took him a long time and it was a big pain in the ass, um, but it, um, he was still able to, you know, to, to, to do these effect shots. And the whole movie was made in, you know, from beginning of writing to the end of the movie, it took under two years. Um, and uh, so, yeah, all these elements were kind of like, let's just do this in a lo-fi style um, with a monster uh, coming out of the lake because that's something that we can shoot feasibly and um, and it'll all amount I mean obviously again no one was no one's getting paid but you know at least uh, the budget will stay relatively small and uh yeah I mean and then and then uh, <laughs> this sounds like it sh- it should it should have turned out to be just a horrific experience and the movie could be terrible um, but it actually turned out decent so
0: yeah yeah i if you could just you mentioned like it take it took two years from kind of inception of the idea until the movie was done. I wonder if you could break down that, that timeline a, a little bit more, you know, how many days of shooting you had and 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 you know how many days of uh or how many it took you to write it, that kinda of, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so um let's see here. I think it you know, it only took me like a month to write it. And um Gosh, let me think. Actual shooting days, um, probably like forty or so, forty or fifty. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's too high. Um, but it was—it really came down to me again, just calling up my friends and saying, "Hey, do you work this Saturday?" You know, and them saying, "Yeah, you know, I, I work at." two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, so I'd say, all right, well, we got to get this shot or we got, I got to get you down to the beach. We got to shoot this scene. Can you, can you meet me there at 8 a.m. and we'll get you out by like one. So it was just a lot of coordinating that kind of stuff. So there weren't too many days. There were some for some of the, the bigger scenes where we would shoot kind of all day. Um, but it was more or less, um, just picking up um, pieces of scenes and different shots and stuff, um, for, I'd say like 40 or 50 days of shooting. Um, and, um, you know, it, because of that, you know, I had to try to keep my beard relatively, um, uh, accurate in uh, length and girth. Uh, it, it varies a little bit, but not
0: too bad. You know your approach to, to scripting and humor. Uh, it seems like a you know well doesn't seem like just most comedies these days are highly improvised, right? You just you you let the actors use whatever comedic chemistry and timing they have to just find the jokes. Yeah. Uh, did did you have improvisational moments or was this like more tightly scripted?
1: Of course, there were some impro- improvisational moments, but for the most part, everything was very tightly scripted because. You have to understand, you know, the the other people in the movie are just my friends um, and so they don't act at all. And so I have to I had to give them lines or things to do or else they wouldn't really know what to do. You know, they just they're waiting for my direction. And so it really was. a scripted thing. Uh I'd say like 95% of it was everything you see on screen is what was in the script and uh I think that's the way to go. Um obviously there's room for improvisation definitely, but I think if you get into that game, then what you're doing is you're cutting to you're cutting together a scene with a lot of singles of people, which is so boring and uncinematic. You have to take advantage of the medium of cinema. And um, I guess what that means is if you have a scene with three funny people and you're just saying, okay, well, make something happen. Be funny. You're a funny person. Then the improv jokey, like the, the, the jokies, you know, just are, uh, it's a lot of cutting between uh, singles of these people and them reacting to each other without ever, hey, move around the room.
0: At this point, I need to apologize to listeners of Kaiju Transmissions. My Skype recorder, which as I'm editing this episode, I already don't love and will be looking for a new one, crashed. I missed the remainder of Ryland's answer due to the technical error, but basically he went on to talk at more length about how he perceives the camera as very important to the medium of visual filmmaking and visual storytelling, and... If you are only using improv comedy to tell a story and tell a comedy, you're missing out on a very important part of movie making, which is using the benefits of the camera. He went on to further discuss how important he thinks it is to have something that looks visually interesting. And he knew that with a smaller budgeted movie with less experienced actors, Having a more dynamic camera would be very important to making his movie more interesting and appealing to viewers. Um, The interview picks back up after his answer to the question, and we didn't really lose anything else. Just uh, more elaboration on that initial piece of the answer he gave. So once again, apologies, and now back to the interview. Okay, so uh, we we just talked a little bit about uh, you know your your approach to scripting your your comedy and making it more more scripted and and uh, if if we lost any of that uh, due to due to you know technical issues uh, I apologize but but Rylan was basically summarizing that you know it, using the the medium of film to its fullest advantage I know. I'm a huge proponent of. I mean, that's that's the whole reason you're making a movie, is to make a movie, and not just you have a bunch of single shots of people being funny and making jokes, and that's it. Um, and that's where I think a lot of comedies do get bogged down. W- one thing you you had kind of talked about uh, was, you know, you don't really need permits, and things like that. Obviously, you know, down at the lake, you didn't need permits. Your interiors, though, I mean... Did you have any sets? Did you have to build any, or was it just more location shooting? And when it came to location shooting, you know, like, uh, did you guys do that more guerrilla style, or did you actually call together some some permits to get it done?
1: Well, um, a lot of it was set dressing uh, for a lot of the interiors, so it was locations um, that I knew I had access to, um, and um, that was kind of. A, a lot of the basis of, uh, the scenes that, or, you know, just the, the premise of the movie and the story and where it went to, a lot of that was based on locations I knew I could get into. Um, but yeah, so it was just a lot of set dressing and stuff for, uh, things like that. Um, but then, uh, in terms of, you know, shooting, um, you know, at, uh, places that may or may not be, uh, museums, uh, you know, these places, uh, look, it's 20, what is it, 2019, and uh, people are just used to cameras, Tom, you know, you walk into a place with a camera, people don't think anything of it anymore, and uh, if you look like you belong somewhere, people tend to leave you alone, and um, it's a good, uh, it's a good lesson for all, I want to be, bank robbers uh, who want to plan a heist, you know, just, just, you know, look like you want to, you belong there because, uh, you know, look, we're dressed up like, you know, in ridiculous costumes. We walk into a museum, you know, people are attending the museum. Who's not to say we're part of the museum? And... I think that was a big part of it, uh, for some of it was people just thought we belonged places and they didn't bother us. And, um, you know, we, it's not like we were spending all day in, in these places, but we just had some shots we had to get and, you know, we'd get, we'd get our, you know, four or five shots that we'd had to do. We, we'd do multiple takes that we had to do and then we'd be done. And then, you know, you spend the rest of the day at a museum with your friends, you know, stuff like that. So
0: uh, you know I'll, I'll leave it at that i love you know. that answer so just talk a little bit about the the cast and crew you know you, you said that they're they're your, your friends basically i definitely could see the uh the you know the three members of your crew just basically being being friends of yours what about the uh the the old wife character and then who played the the monster
1: well to the monster question i won't give that away Um, but I will say that, um, I suppose this is even kind of a giveaway as to a joke in the movie, but, uh, the, the old, the old lady in my, uh, in in Lake Michigan monster is actually my grandma. And, um, she's, uh, she's a wonderful lady. She's, she's one of those who, uh, hates getting her picture taken. So she was so she was uh, of course she did it because I'm her grandson. Um but uh she was a little reluctant to do it, but she was great, obviously. Um it was funny because um she uh she's just such a smiley, laughing like just a joyful person. And so she was just getting a, a kick out of everything. Um and then when she saw the finished product, she was you know, she was like most people, uh, who was just like, wow, I didn't think that's what the movie was gonna look like I didn't think that's what the movie was was about or whatever so but uh, yeah just another example of getting asking favors from people around you to be in your silly monster movie
0: <laughs> so uh, so this is a, a monster podcast right uh, we, we talk about giant monster movies usually a little more specifically but of course I, I loved the creature design I thought it was really interesting. I wasn't expecting it. Um, and that showed at, you know, G-Fest, which is a Godzilla festival, basically. I was expecting more of a Nessie-looking thing, more of a Plesiosaur or something. Where did you get the the creature design idea for this, and, and how was it executed? Was it all animated, or was there some practicality or anything behind that?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'd love... To... I don't want to get too into describing the monster just because I don't want to spoil it for everybody. But essentially our thinking was we wanted something that's pretty original looking and that you've really never seen before. And you're not quite sure what it is you're looking at um, until it really, you know, comes into full view. Um, And so uh, the look of it and the idea behind it um, was kind of like, uh, you know, Look, uh, like I said, let's just make something original and uh, and let's let's put like a twist on it uh, that has to do with the actual story. Let's not make it just like, oh, it's and then the monster appeared. Like, let's tie this monster into the story and the character. And, there, there, you know, there's there's something more there. That's all I'll say about it. Um, Then just like, oh, and then the creature appeared. Kill it. Um, So uh, there was that. Uh, It was designed by Joe Castro, um, who has been doing uh, monster effects. Um, You know, he's just a total um, practical effects guy that's been doing it for like 25, 30 years. And he has a number of, uh, uh, he's been on a number of movies, uh, just, just, I don't know, a hundred movies that he's done effects for. So we, we were able to contact him and, and get him to, uh, design the actual, uh, you know, monster suit and everything for us. Um, but yeah, it's a combination of, uh, a practical, uh, monster, uh, with some digital, uh, enhancements in there. Um, and again, that was, the reason we were able to do that is because we were just working in this uh, 16 millimeter uh, black and white, uh, grainy, scratchy style, and so it it, it works.
0: So you, uh, I know you earlier mentioned you're you're not a huge monster movie guy. Did you have any favorite monster movies as a kid? Uh, are you aware Godzilla at all? Who? Um, <laughs> uh,
1: yes, I. Um, so, I mean, you know, obviously I've seen, um, you know, well, the, first of all, the original Godzilla is, uh, just a work of art. Um, the original Godzilla with all those miniatures and effects that they do, um, it's really powerful. And I think, I mean, obviously the later Godzillas are really fun and campy. Um, but it's funny how far away that they got from the original Godzilla, because I mean, the original, it's, it's a powerful movie. And, uh, I actually own it on Blu-ray, a uh, Criterion one that they released like last year. Um, but yeah, um, you know, so I've seen multiple Godzilla movies. Um, you know, I've seen, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, which we actually, when we played at the Wisconsin Film Festival, Lake Michigan Monster played immediately following Creature from Black Lagoon, like a, a new, uh, restoration of it. It was all in 3D and everything. It was really neat to see, um, yeah, but, you know, aside from, aside from some of those classics, um, I mean, I don't know if this counts, but I love, uh, The Thing, uh, from John Carpenter, cause those creature effects are just absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal and terrifying, um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of the classics, um, I, yeah, I, I can't give you a whole, uh, a lot of deep cuts when it comes to monster movies, um. I mean, you know, I like anything Guillermo del Toro does. <laughs> uh, but as far as, like, big uh, monster uh, Clash of the Titans kind of uh, Godzilla versus, you know, Ghidorah kind of things, uh, you know, I've seen some of them, but I'm not uh, as well-versed as uh, I probably should be.
0: You sound, I mean, you're dropping a couple of cuts that I think, you know, that the average person at least wouldn't wouldn't get. So, I, I got the Seeing Creature from the Black Lagoon in Lake Michigan Monster would be crazy.
1: Yeah, those programmers knew what they were doing.
0: <laughs> That'd be a hell of a double feature. Now, uh, do you like attending screenings of, of your movies?
1: I do. Um, so, you know, I've seen the movie like 10,000 times, but, you know, I, I just like sitting there with a the beer in hand and just... Um, I, I just like gauging audience reception and just being a part of a um, you know, an experience like that because it is a fun movie. Um, and we've had some late night screenings of it too at fests and even at bars and stuff, um, where people really get a kick out of it. People are drinking, having fun, yelling at the screen, you know, laughing out loud, being spooked out. It's, you know, it's, it's just a fun movie that has a lot of different, uh, elements. It's, it's kind of a roller coaster. And so, To be in the actual uh, theater itself, I have no problem with that. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to to see how people react to it.
0: So, uh, with that said, uh, do you have any upcoming release plans for, like, Michigan Monster? You know, a digital or, you know, more home video, uh, physical release? It it got a really good response at G-Fest, and uh, a lot of people that... Missed it. We're we pretty disappointed actually that they missed it. So, good. Any ideas to bring it to a wider audience beyond film festivals?
1: Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna we're working on distribution right now, um, but uh, hopefully by Chris, around Christmas time, which would be perfect, or at least early 2020, it'll be out on streaming platforms uh, as well as Blu-ray and DVD. So, um, so I guess what I'd have to say is, you know, you can always, uh, I hate plugging social media stuff, but you could follow me on Instagram, just at Rylan twos and you'll get all the info you need there. That's all I use my Instagram for is just to post about the movie. So, or you could just find me on Facebook too, either way. But yeah, it's going to be on all the streaming platforms, uh, by the end of the year and DVD Blu-ray. So um, because, you know, I really like the physical form, you know, streaming's fine, but I really like having a collection, you know, of Blu-rays and stuff, you know, maybe that's just the, the genre, uh, cinema lover in me, but I think a lot of us, uh, horror fans and, and stuff, we, we really like having the actual thing in our hand that we can add to our collection. So that's kind of a big thing with us now. Um, kind of pitching it to, or, you know, distributors working with us. We're kind of like, you know, you really got to have that physical form because,
0: you know, pe- people like that. I think, you know, I'll be buying my copy for sure. Um, well, there's one sale. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask, end this by kind of asking you some some off the wall questions because uh, you're you know you're a a, a young up and coming filmmaker. So um, you know, uh, if you could remake any classic movie. Uh, i don't even know maybe your answer would be i hate remakes i don't know but if you could remake any classic movie uh what would you pick and and why
1: oh man um well yes i'm not a big fan of remakes um but um i had to remake a movie oh jeez. and this can't be like a sequel this has to just be a straight-up remake
0: I, I was I was going to ask you about uh, if you would ju- if you could jump into any franchise. So that's that's another question that I want to know the answer to is yeah. if you could kind of jump into any franchise and yeah. make the next one. Uh, w- which one would you, would you pick?
1: Oh man, I'm actually I'm looking at my DVDs and Blu-rays right now. Get some inspiration here. Um, uh, you know, this is what I'd do. I would make Roadhouse 2 in space and it takes place, it takes place in the, in the future. Um, let's see here. It takes place in 2030. Okay. And somehow between the the time of Roadhouse, which came out, I think, 89 or so and 2030, we developed space, Travel and we were able to well you know we have space travel but we were able to get to Mars somehow and now there's a new roadhouse in town except it's on Mars and um and you could do it because now look Patrick Swayze rest in peace is no longer with us but his brother is still alive and his brother's been in some movies so you could get Patrick Swayze's brother to play Patrick Swayze as the character Dalton, of course, we all know the bouncer in roadhouse and you could still get, um, what's his name? Um, you know, guy, um, old actor. Uh, you know, he's got the big mustache and the deep voice who is in, uh, you know, he was, he was What was he just recently in, uh, that Hitler or the man who killed Hitler in the,
0: Ben, the big uh, Sam Elliott.
1: Yeah. Sam Elliott, You can get him back. Cause he's actually now like back to, you know he's he's coming back and uh he's still alive so you get him back uh everyone else is still alive and so you could get them back to roadhouse too but it's in space and it's on mars this time it's like a big mystery as to like the audience is like wonder like figuring like how did they how are they on mars it's like never explained like and there's like little hints and and clues dropped like oh how did they get to mars why are they what are they doing here exactly and uh the bar patrons this time around that come into the the Double Deuce on Mars—they're like all kind of like rowdy cutthroats, and it looks like they're they've been fighting in a war or something, you know. But you're not really sure what exactly they, they do, but they're they're definitely like soldiers or something, and and they've been fighting someone, and we get these mysterious uh, hints and clues as to who they are, but they always come to the Double Deuce, and they always cause havoc because that's that's got to be the main part of the story. Is like here's Dalton uh, Patrick Swayze's brother now, who is uh, here to take out the trash. Uh, at this bar on Mars, and, um, actually, maybe that's what it should be called, the Mars Bar. But anyways, um, so um, these guys are coming in, and uh, they're causing havoc, and, of course, there's still just, like, uh, funny, like, honky-tonk music playing in the Mars Bar, and Dalton has to take care of these guys who keep coming in. But then throughout, uh, somehow during the movie, um, it gets, like, way bigger than you ever expect it to be, because this, like, thing with I guess they find out during the movie, like maybe there's like this war going on um, that we didn't know about on Mars. Like when we got to Mars and we settled and set up a colony and we set up Mars bars, we weren't aware of this other race of people actually living on Mars. And this is what these these uh, you know these roughnecks who have been coming into the bar—that's who they're fighting. They're part of this uh, you know Earth and army that's been fighting these other uh, creatures. And I think what you could do is you could make the Mars aliens be giant, uh, those giant praying mantises that people talk about on Coast to Coast AM when they say, oh, I've had an alien experience. Yes, I've been in contact with like the big, uh, they're either, they're like the lizard people um, or the reptilians, or they also talk about these big praying mantises that they come in contact with like in their dreams or their sleep and they say, no, like." the grays, the gray aliens are like the good aliens, you know, um, or, or they're kind of neutral, but these praying mantis aliens, these are like the evil aliens. They want to destroy us. And so what you could do is you could have these roughnecks be fighting with these Mars reptilians that are reptilians. Well, they could be reptilians, or they could be these praying mantises that are like 12 feet tall. And they're like, you know, they're, they're great, um, warriors. And so, um you know maybe you get like some subtle hints here and there throughout the movie like maybe one of the roughneck soldiers who come back into the double deuce you know he's got like a big like brown he's got like a big sack like sitting on the 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 bar or something and it's kind of got like some like green like blood or something dripping out you're like what is that and you just cut away oh forget about that we have a bar to run um but then later in the movie you find out that there's this war going on and then dalton the bouncer somehow has to get involved with it. And then it ends with like this big clash of praying mantis versus man on Mars. And um, Dalton, the bouncer somehow has to become the hero maybe. And um, the movie is simply titled Roadhouse two. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, there's no like colon Roadhouse two, uh, adventures in space no it's just as a viewer you go in thinking like oh this is gonna be like roadhouse one and then you are just blown away because you're like wow we're in space
0: on mars praying mantis so anyways is that something you just thought of or has this been rolling around for a while because well i mean i I, you know uh i want to see this movie now just you know, this little idea I had right now. I just you know I thought thought
1: that might make for a... that's my elevator pitch. Uh, you know, for this movie.
0: This is just uh, this is a fascinating look into into how your your mind is working. So, what about with you? Uh, any upcoming projects?
1: Well, we uh, we already have uh, financing for our next film, um, which will be shooting this fall and winter, and uh, that's going to be a um, It's actually going to be an 18th century fur trapper movie. Um, It's going to be, it's, it's basically going to be the funny revenant. Um, It's just going to be a kind of a, a a return to uh, physical comedy Um, because beyond what we were talking about earlier about, uh, well, you know, comedies, a lot of times they just, they do the y thing with a lot of singles. It's not very cinematic. Um, I think, Uh, physical comedy is something that's so, uh, universal to everybody. Someone falls down some stairs, everyone in the world laughs, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, someone in China and someone in America can think the same thing is funny. And I think, I think, uh, um, that's why like Kung Fu movies are so appealing to everybody because, uh, it's not about the, the story necessarily or what's being said, although some of them are, you know, very funny. Um. It's just this: these uh, sight gags and um, physical uh, uh, comedy and, and, and humor that can come from just someone getting hurt simply or uh, a, a big, you know, funny gag-filled chase scene or whatever. And so we want to make um, an 18th century fur trapper movie that takes place in northern Wisconsin um, that's going to be shot, you know, in <laughs> the dead of winter up there. Uh, it's going to be a horrible nightmare of a shoot. But um, it's... Uh, it's just going to be a lot of um funny gag-based comedy and um just just things that are universal, you know, like oh uh you know find you know having a love interest and 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 someone falling down, something getting blown up, someone who's cold, I have to find shelter, I need to make a fire, isn't this awful? I'm you know, I'm so uh, miserable out here. Oh, now I'm warm and cozy in my big fur coat. You know, like these simple um, you know just just it speaks every language uh is what i'm trying to say and so we're going to be making that um coming up here which will hopefully be finished uh by you know like summer 2020 fall 2020 and then we'll we'll do another fest run all over again so that one's not really a monster there's no monster in that one um really um but i am sure that uh all your listeners would still enjoy it
0: oh i'm gonna keep my eye out for 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 sure One last question. Do you have any advice for any aspiring young filmmakers out there?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think first of all, a big thing, um, is if you can, and you're like still young enough to do so, I think you should play sports because I think it has it, it really comes in handy later uh, when you're running a, a film shoot to and just making a movie in general. It helps to, when the going gets tough, I think years of playing sports on sports teams, it's good to have that camaraderie with people and knowing what it takes to overcome adversity and obst- You know, obstacles and knowing how to get along with people and stuff. I think a lot of people who get into making movies and stuff, they're very they're, they're very, uh, they're like art kids. And so they've been very, like, there's nothing wrong with that, but they're, they're not as outgoing a lot of times, or like, they just, they don't do anything physical. It's a lot more of just, um, stuff in their mind that they think up and they create, and then they think they can just go out and shoot a thing. And it's like, well, maybe, but I just think being able to, um, work together with people um, and, and knowing, and, and knowing how to deal with different personalities and stuff and knowing how to tough something out or, or let you know, letting something, you know, kind of slide off your back and not worry too much about it. I think sports are, are a really good outlet to, to, um, kind of train yourself for that. Cause then when you go into a movie shoot, it's kind of like going into battle, you know, or, or going into play a, a, a game or something. It's. It's all this prep work and then to actually physically do it, it takes a lot out of you. And I think uh, having just being prepared um, from a younger age to know what that's like can can definitely help. And then aside from that, I just think, uh, you know, you just just go out and shoot something. I know it's kind of cliche to say that, but... You know, a lot of people are like waiting around like, oh, if only I had this much money, if only I had this camera, if only someone would read my script, then I could make my big masterpiece. It's like it doesn't work that way. You know, there's a lot of trial and error. You have to just keep shooting and shooting and shooting and perfecting and crafting. And even if you don't think it looks that good, I mean, again, our movie doesn't look like Avatar, um, but people are still having a great time at it. you can, there are other ways to make movies. Um, and, and, and if, if your movie from what, don't just think like, Oh, my vision, Oh, my vision, you know, your vision can change too, you know? And so don't be so stubborn and just go out and shoot something and get that experience under your belt. Um, because the more days you are, you have on set, um, the better. And you'll just start to produce more things going on in life. So, so shoot stuff and play sports
0: uh, that, that's that's a unique piece of advice I, I kind of like it too just the the sports idea and the and the physicality of it it's just something that you know is not really talked about often um, so do you have any last you know you want to plug anything uh, this is this is your opportunity to sound off and any any last words that you want to say
1: well I guess again you could follow me on Instagram at Ryland twos or you could just find me on Facebook Ryland bricks and cold two's um, uh, we're going to be sh- uh, in fan- uh, in Montreal at Fantasia Film Festival uh, n- uh, on uh, Thursday, July 25th. We're actually screening immediately after uh, Zhang Yimou's new movie, Shadow. He's the one who directed uh, House of Flying Daggers and Hero. Um, so the fact that we're on the same screen as him is uh, pretty, pretty crazy. But um, we have that coming up, and then we're also going to be at a couple other fests coming up, uh, including Film Quest in Provo, Utah, and we're also going to be at Genre Blast Film Fest uh, in Win- uh, Winchester, Virginia. Um, those are both uh, kind of ones over. Genre Blast is over uh, Labor Day weekend, and then um, Film Quest is September 6th to the 14th. Um, other than that, um, I don't really have a lot. Again, uh, the movie is going to be on streaming and DVD Blu-ray, uh, by the end of the year or early 2020. So definitely look out for it then. And if you follow me on my socials, you can, uh, hear about it even sooner. Um, you know, I feel kind of bad time. I feel like, should we talk about monsters a little more? I mean, is, I, <laughs> I keep going on and on about my silly movie, but like, you know, is there any, is, is there any more questions you want to ask me pertaining to monsters or should I ask you some questions pertaining to
0: That's <laughs> good. I mean um <clears throat> that this is this is a podcast just just so you know that uh yeah it's it's based on you know Godzilla and stuff but um uh we've talked about um like M- movie, uh, we actually just did an episode uh, talking about um, a romantic comedy about a girl who gets sent back in time by a magic genie to teach her parents how to properly love each other, and if she screws up, the time cop is going to lose his job. Um, <laughs> We don't we don't just focus on, on giant monsters here. This is something that I really wanted to do because I saw your movie at G Fest, loved it. Uh the, the audience of this show would, would really get a kick out of it. So um this was this was this was supposed to be about you and your movie. All right, all right. We're good. We we talked <laughs> enough. You mentioned the name Ghidorah. That's good enough. Ghidorah. Gamera. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate your time um this has been uh, an episode of kaiju transmissions you can find them find us on you know all the just search kaiju transmissions on every social media thing and you'll find it i've been the the host of this particular episode i've been tom i've been with uh rylan bricks and cole twos and we've been talking about lake michigan monster and uh thank you very much for listening and thank you for your time rylan
1: yes thank you so much
0: all right everyone